Yatsi Chorna, Oi Chorna Yatsi Hanka, Stem se polubela, Stem se polubela, Chorna Vahoi Vanka, Stem se polubela, Stem se polubela, Chorna Vahoi Vanka, Oi Tom Supoyubela, Ivanka Taki Vanka, Visoki Tasunke, Visoki Tasunke. from Winnipeg with a traditional Ukrainian folk song, Oi Chorna Yase Chorna, I Am a Dark-Eyed Beauty. Vitaju vas vsih, šanovni radiju suhači na radiju predaču naš holos, radiju Krinskoho Korenja, kotra podajaci vam na hveli CHLY 111 FM u misti na najmo. Pri mikrofoni Pavlina. Dobry den and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm your host, Pavlina. On today's show, another Ukrainian food fair recipe that will be featured in our upcoming cookbook tribute to the late Sylvia Molnar and an interview with Svetlana Kominko of Maple Hope Foundation in Vancouver. She'll be telling us about a program they've developed, the first of its kind in the world, to help traumatized victims of war to heal as they adjust to a new environment. As well, a Knishka Corner book review, and this will be a book very recently written about the war in Ukraine. 
As well, we'll be reviewing our banknote series uh, on Ukrainian Jewish heritage in light of the current world events uh, would uh, provide a pretty good refresher on history. So stay tuned for all of that, as well our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next, more Canadian content. Here is Millennia from Edmonton and Oitak Chinatak, yes or no. From the Nasholos Audio Archives, Ukrainian Food Flare. Hello! 
Ukrainian salads are usually very different from the standard lettuce-based fare most North Americans are accustomed to. This one certainly fills the bill. Beets and mushrooms may seem like an unlikely combination, but they make a delicious duo in a salad. This traditional Ukrainian salad has delightfully surprised many a dinner guest in my house over the years. It is also a visual delight, with the jewel tones of the cube beads glistening in a glass or crystal bowl or served on individual plates nestled on a bed of lettuce or kale. It's meatless and dairy-free, so it's perfect for traditional Lenten meals as well as for vegetarians any time of the year. To make beet and mushroom salad, you will need half a cup olive oil, one small onion, finely chopped, four cups cooked beets, julienne, one cup sliced cooked or fresh mushrooms, three cloves, crushed garlic, one tablespoon sugar, two tablespoons vinegar, salt, and freshly ground pepper. Gently fry the onion in oil until transparent. Careful not to scorch them. If you haven't cooked the mushrooms yet, you can add them to the onions and cook through. Add beets and other ingredients to onions and stir gently. Chill overnight, serve cold. This will serve eight. You can find this easy and elegant recipe on the Nosh Holos blog and of course in our cookbook. So try it, it's Ukrainian. This has been Ukrainian Food Flare from the Nosh Holos Audio Archives. Ukrainian singer who goes by the name Kristonko, and that was Oy Uhayu Predunayu in A Grove by the Danube. Up next, one of those little gems you find scrolling through Facebook sometimes. <laughs> Oh, 
Svetlana Komenko is co-founder and CEO of Maple Hope Foundation based in Vancouver. She helped found Maple Hope Foundation in 2014 in response to Russia's incursion into Ukraine. The initial goal of the organization was to support defenders of Ukraine, their families, volunteers, and other civilians affected by the war. Since the full-scale invasion in February 2022, Maple Hope Foundation expanded its scope to help Ukrainian civilians taking refuge in Canada. Recently, I spoke with Svetlana about Maple Hope Foundation's Healing Project, a program to help these traumatized individuals adapt and become productive citizens of Canada. Svetlana, I understand that Maple Hope Foundation has just started a new mental health program for people fleeing the war in Ukraine, not refugees, but temporary foreign workers, which is their official title, but they are actually, in fact, refugees. They've got a lot of trauma that they've brought with them, and you've come up with a program specifically to address these people and their needs. Yes. We were developing the program over the summer and successfully launched at the beginning of September. Our main purpose is to provide psychosocial support to Ukrainians who fled the war. We have three target groups, women from 30 years plus, Mm -hmm. young people from 19 to 30, and high school students, teenagers, 15, 18. The plan is to offer support groups in 10 cities across Canada for Ukrainians that live in these 10 cities, but also in surrounding cities, pretty much from Victoria to Halifax. Mm. And we currently now offering uh, programs for women, for high school students, and have a huge waiting list that people signing up. It's in-house developed uh, seven-week program that helps to rediscover yourself in a new environment. It's a program that allows us to not just to be resilient, but transilient. And Ukrainians are famous for their resilience. Oh, yeah. But it's not enough now. And uh, there are so many researchers that are talking about that, like Gabi very prominent psychiatrist and mental health specialist who had a successful practice in Vancouver and now is sharing his wisdom across the globe because he himself was traumatized as a child. Okay. And knowing the specifics of Ukrainian culture, and I also use my own uh, personal experience of reliving through trauma being in the grieving process for a very, very long time and understanding the importance of getting a professional and timely help pushed me and our team to this project. Because when we are in silos and when we don't have support, and people tend to isolate, when we feel anxious, depressed, uh, we don't want to see anyone. We we are suffering in silence. Right. And... um, Offering this group support and very safe, very safe, very warm, confidential environment. And even we do this online at Zoom, we can see this transformation. We can see that our participants, they're opening up. They start to smile. They see the light. They can start setting some small goals. And they're getting a lot of support from each other. 
Well, that's good. I've, I've often thought in the past that this was what was missing for any country that opens up its doors and arms to people fleeing from a war, whether it's in Ukraine or Israel or Syria or, you know, from like World War II. How many people came um, after World War II and were laughed at because the stories that they had and, and still do, as, as we just saw this past week, people's stories of their experiences during of war in war, uh, of being victimized, and all their the experiences of horrors, people couldn't comprehend because they just we couldn't. You had to experience it. You had to be there to understand what what happened, how and how it affected you. And so they come here, and there's nobody to talk to. So what you've done is is wonderful. It's long overdue. We should have been doing this years and years ago, but it's great that you're doing it. You've started this initiative, it's, and it's the first in the world, isn't it? Uh, it looks like that uh, Canada is now the, the only one country that has this uh, Canada-wide project because we also need to understand that the language barrier is huge when you suffer from oh, yeah. uh, from mental health issue, from your emotional experience, and, and uh, yeah, and it's not just the, not just the language barrier, but it's a cultural barrier as well. Of co- of course, and I'm so happy that we were able to find professionals who are fluent in Ukrainian, and they can offer this type of support and healing opportunity in our native language, Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. And we can see that the transformation in addition to the group work, we have individual support so they can get one-on-one wellness session or career coaching session with, with practitioners that are speaking Ukrainian. And it, it does a miracle, wow. literally it does a miracle in their lives. And I think what you just mentioned a lot about Second World War and so many Different ethnic communities were formed as a result of the refugee crisis after the Second World War. Right. But you, you didn't have at that time that support system. No. And people were just, you know, carrying along that trauma. And yeah. it affects their relationship with the loved oh, yeah. one. Korea's yeah. successes. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. They're, and they're healing heals us as well. It benefits us because they become, um, you know, on a kind of mercenary level, they become more productive citizens. But also it's not not just their their economic contribution, it's it's their social contribution. It's the, um, you know, the energy that, that they have that isn't isn't suppressed because they're depressed and alone and isolated and frightened frightened they can come out and participate in the greater community and do all kinds of things and in turn help other people who are you know we're in the same situation that they just overcame so together we all grow and uh it's it's a it's a benefit it's a win-win for sure for everybody so yeah exactly canada was so generous and still is so generous towards ukrainians who are coming here and supporting ukraine And I do believe that Ukrainians that would have that healing opportunity, they would be able to give back, give back to Canada and support their loved ones in Ukraine. So it's a win-win. It's definitely a win-win situation. And so the people that are 
are providing the services, all these these professionals, the health, the mental health professionals, and career counselors, and those are they volunteers or are they? Um, are you? Do you need funds to pay them a salary? No, it's a very small budget. We cannot afford to pay a salary, but it's just a small compensation for their individual consultations or their co-facilitating in the support group. Okay. Um, and we, when we organize community forums offline and bring Ukrainians who fled the war together, we also are able to compensate for their master classes, workshops that they are developing for Ukrainians. But nobody is on the salary. Okay. Uh, our entire board is volunteering for nine years. Wow. And over 300 volunteers that are part of Maple Hold. Uh, it's 100% time investment, volunteer time investment. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's hard to sustain. I'm really concerned that we can burn burn out one day. Oh, sure. Uh, and and we also need this kind of support. So trying to kind of be creative and brainstorm how we can keep going. Yeah. Because well, uh, it doesn't look it's going to end soon. No, no, it's, yeah, I can understand the, the danger of, of burnout. And then, of course, there's nobody, there are these all these people in need that aren't being helped. So um, you're giving honorarium to uh, the the professionals, the counselors that uh, are are helping the Ukrainian refugees. And what are the costs then? Uh, how much do you need? And, and what you know what are what are the things that you cost that you need covered? Oh, the, there is there is a demand for one on one sessions because the oldest uh, do the self assessment on PTSD whoever wants to come into the program. And some Ukrainians have a severe PTSD. And they are more suitable for one-on-one support rather than for group. Once they are stronger, we can bring them to the group. Oh, uh, so, oh. We, so and for the one-on-one, yeah. there is, they need, there is a professional fee that has to be paid. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. once and then once they're um, the the kind of the ex- extreme anxiety and trauma is um, is dealt with, then they are able to participate in a group, and then and then that's all done by volunteers. Yes, wow. exactly. That's incredible. Uh, there is a huge huge demand for career coaching because they need to know how to live, how to support themselves. What, sure. What's next? Right. Yeah, yeah. What should they do? Yeah. Uh, there are so many. Uh, just in the last couple of months, we already offered over 500 free consultations, uh, career counseling. Uh-huh. And what an incredible people came to our country. Doctors, lawyers, IT specialists, teachers. And they have incredible education and experience from Ukraine. But mm-hmm. many of them don't have enough English to continue what they love to do in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, running their businesses because they were successful entrepreneurs. Right. And uh, and we are trying to help them, to link them with uh, good uh, providers of English training, very intense programs. We try to secure scholarships or special offers for them that they can bring up their level of English and then we can find a suitable short program because they don't need another master's degree. No. They don't need to go and get, you know, uh, get into a doctoral program. Maybe a few, but most of them need 
more like a refresher course or a short bridging program, micro-credential, a certificate, right, or yeah. post-degree diploma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that can help them to reach into the job market and, yeah. and just become more confident in themselves and start making money and uh, realizing that they are doing a meaningful work and they can support themselves. They don't need to rely for the food bank or the, the subsidy that yeah. comes from the government. I mean, yeah, amazing. I, I think most Canadians aren't aware of this kind of work that is going on behind the scenes. So thank you, Svetlana, for telling us about this. And if people want to donate to support this um, this program, and what is it called again? The project name is Healing Project, and the full name of the, of the project is Healing the Wounds of the Wound Together. Okay, so you can make a donation through the Maple Hope Foundation website then for the healing, uh, the healing project, and then anybody will know that that goes to the healing the wounds of, of the war. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Maple yeah. MapleHopeFoundation dot org, and um, yeah, if you can spare um, a few dollars, this would be a very helpful contribution to Maple Hope. Foundation to the Ukrainians uh, who are fleeing, fleeing war and coming to Canada to, uh, to heal and to give back to the country eventually. Yes, like $25 can make a difference in somebody's life right. uh, because one of our practitioners will have the opportunity to give that one hour of their time and sit down with whoever doesn't have a clear picture about their future, can get that help and, and set the goals and have a roadmap that they can use uh, towards their bright future and live in the life, not just surviving in Canada. Yeah, yeah. That's good work. Svetlana, thank you again so much for uh, sharing this, uh, the, the story of Maple Hope and, uh, and this healing project. And I hope listeners will be moved to make a donation to help these people to integrate into Canadian society and, um, and heal from the, from the wounds of the war. Thanks. Thanks so much, Svetlana. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Ви слухаєте наш голос Радіо Українського коріння, котре подається вам на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Нанайму. You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Welcome to Knishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik. Stories about Ukraine and Ukrainians in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner, we will be discussing Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War, written by Kyle Duncan and Esther Fedorkevich. Hope for Ukraine is a harrowing look at the realities of the war in Ukraine. The authors, Kyle Duncan and Esther Fedorkevich, combine narrative and analysis to show readers how the Ukrainian people survived with grit and grace. Both writers have deep family ties to Ukraine and provide readers with eyewitness accounts of Ukrainian refugees, aid workers, soldiers, 
and ordinary families dealing with the chaos of war. Esther's maternal Ukrainian grandparents fled religious persecution and Stalin's Holodomor in the early 1930s. Kyle adopted six-year-old Zhenya in 2007 from an orphanage in Mariupol. The writers have a powerful message. The word hope in this book's title can be read as both a noun and a verb. While we believe there is hope for Ukraine, we also believe it's critical to hope and pray for peace. The book begins with a timeline of Ukraine's history beginning in 700 BC and ending with the Russian invasion of Ukraine on February the 24th, 2022. The 22 chapters explore how Ukrainians of all ages have experienced the invasion of their country. Kyle spent three weeks in Poland and Western Ukraine in March and April of 2022. He interviewed refugees, aid workers, and volunteers. Esther conducted interviews with those who stayed in the country during the invasion. Their goal was to tell the stories of real Ukrainians living through the largest and most devastating war in Europe in eight decades. The first story describes the struggles of Dmitri and Mariana, who were in the process of adopting their 16-year-old son, Maxim, Max, when the Russians invaded Ukraine on February the 24th, 2022. Both were Ukrainians who had become U.S. citizens. Their adoption had been approved, but the judge would not waive a 30-day waiting period. They faced a serious challenge because Max had to wait in Ukraine as the war began while they returned to Tampa and their three younger children. Max took shelter in his trade school building as the Russians bombed the area of his orphanage west of Zaporizhia. Eventually, Dmitri and Mariana persuaded Albert Horniak, a war chaplain, to find Max and take him out of the war zone to safety in Lviv. On his last day in Ukraine, March the 26th, Max witnessed a Russian missile slam into an industrial complex in Lviv. After being reunited with her son, Mariana explained, The fact that Max went through all that he did and is with us now is a miracle. It's proof that no matter what the devil throws at you, God's plan is greater and stronger. There are many other stories in this book. Aid workers organizing a safe place for Ukrainian orphans in a Polish hunting lodge. A Royal Marine veteran from Glasgow fighting with the International Legion of Ukraine. And newlyweds Johnny and Ira organizing much-needed drugs for elderly Ukrainians. There are also vivid descriptions of the siege of Avostal in Mariupol, Ukraine's deep Jewish roots, Ukraine's indigenous peoples, and the fight against human trafficking of Ukrainian refugees. These stories show the unwavering dedication of Ukrainians and their allies to helping the Ukrainian people survive during the time of war. Readers will be shocked by some of the graphic depictions of violence and abuse in this book. On the other hand, 
They will be inspired by the courage, resilience, and patriotism of Ukrainians of all ages during the difficult time. The humanitarian response to the plight of Ukrainian refugees is described very well. Both writers have worked in Christian faith-based publishing, but the stories they tell are not exclusively told from a faith perspective. The proceeds of this book will be donated to aid organizations helping Ukrainian refugees. Readers should look forward to more books from these writers after Ukraine is once again free. Kyle Duncan is a native Californian who has written for publications such as the Los Angeles Magazine and the Daily Bruin. He has also worked as a New York Times bestselling ghostwriter and editor. Hope for Ukraine is his first book, inspired by his personal experience of adopting his son, Corey Zhenya, from Mariupol, Ukraine. He lives in San Diego with his family. Esther Fedorkavich is a literary and entertainment agent who founded the Fed Agency. She has represented faith-based authors, athletes, politicians, and other influential writers, and has over 80 New York Times bestsellers on her list. She lives in Austin with her family. Hope for Ukraine is available at Chapters Indigo and Amazon. Thank you, Myra, for another thorough and thoughtful review. Join us again soon for another Kanishka Corner Book Review with Myra Jenik here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. In the meantime, if you'd like to listen again to this or Myra's previous reviews or read the transcript, you can find them archived at our website, www.nasholos.com.
the remarkable Kozak Siromaha from Ukraine, the singing soldier, I guess you could call him, in modern-day Kozak. And uh, that was a fairly recent release, and it is called Voroha Poborimo, We Will Defeat the Enemy. Up next, a song dating back to the World War I era in Ukraine, and that has been recently made popular around the world in this war. It is performed by Haida Maka and Tonya Matvienko, a fairly recent release of Oi Uluzi Cervona Kalena. In the field there is a red viburnum. Oi Uluzi Cervona Kalena Pochililasya Наша славна Україна зажурилася, а ми тую червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. Червона калино, маєш білий цвіт. Не журися, славна Україно, маєш вільний рід. А ми тую червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей розвеселимо. А ми тую червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей
And now, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, discovering unknown and untold stories from the past and present of Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage. Banknotes and coins are not only means of payment, they are also a symbol of sovereignty. This is a story about two currencies, two countries, and two peoples with a long and closely intertwined history. The hryvnia, currency of Ukraine, and the shekel, currency of Israel. This is the story of how both of these countries have honored the other with their respective currencies. Nothing confirms sovereign statehood like its own unique, identifiable, and stable currency. And arguably, no two countries know this better than Ukraine and Israel. One of the biggest challenges of any new state is being taken seriously on the world stage as a sovereign political entity with a viable economy. To that end, engaging in international trade is crucial. And for that to happen, a new state needs its own currency. In 1991, shortly after the collapse of communism in Eastern Europe, Ukraine suddenly found itself an independent state. After over 70 years of political and economic subordination, Ukraine was finally free of Kremlin control. But taking control of its own affairs, after centuries of foreign control, would be no easy task. As a new state, Ukraine found itself stuck with the Soviet ruble as its currency. This situation, using the currency of another country, was not conducive to creating the impression of sovereignty nor economic strength and stability. So, creating its own currency became a high priority for the new Ukrainian state. In 1948, after the Holocaust decimated the vast majority of European Jews, the Jewish people finally had their own state. And likewise, the new state of Israel found itself stuck with a foreign currency, the Palestine Pound. At the end of World War I, the Ottoman Empire conceded Palestine and Transjordan, which, at the end of the war, were undeveloped, poor, and sparsely populated, to the Allied forces. The League of Nations, the forerunner of today's United Nations, created the British Mandate of Palestine for the British to administer these territories. The Ottoman Empire had no official name for these lands. So the new administration chose the term Palestine which dates back to ancient times. In the second century, the Roman Empire had crushed a Jewish revolt and recaptured Jerusalem and Judea. The Romans renamed the area of Judea as Palestine in an attempt to minimize Jewish identification with the land of Israel. With the creation of the new state of Israel in 1948, the British Mandate of Palestine came to an end. But nonetheless, Israel was stuck with the Palestine pound as its currency. So creating its own currency became a high priority for the new Jewish state. It took a few years for both states to create and establish their own currencies, but in both cases the process began almost immediately. In Ukraine, a temporary currency, the Korbovanets, was created. By November of 1992, it had replaced the Soviet ruble and was sole legal tender in Ukraine. In 1996, the hryvnia was introduced as Ukraine's national currency when past President Viktor Yushchenko was chairman of the National Bank of Ukraine. 
Work to design the hryvnia had, however, begun much earlier and under secrecy. The first banknotes were printed outside the country in Canada and the United Kingdom. The one hryvnia banknotes were printed by the Canadian Banknote Company in 1992 and the two, five, and ten hryvnia banknotes in 1994. The banknotes were stored in Canada until they were put into circulation two years later. Israel's currency also involves secrecy. Planning for it began before the State of Israel was yet established or named. This was a tricky situation, as no reputable foreign firm was interested in printing banknotes for a non-existent state. Eventually, however, the American Banknote Company of New York was persuaded to print them, but without any indication that they were legal tender. When the banknotes were ordered, no one yet knew what the name of the new state would be, let alone the name of its currency. It was therefore decided to print Palestine Pound on the notes, the currency of the mandate. The banknotes reached Israel secretly in 1948. On August 17th, the government passed a law declaring the notes legal tender, and they were put into circulation on the following day. In 1952, the Israeli pound or lira was introduced to replace the Palestine pound. From then onwards, a debate raged over the non-Hebrew name of the currency. This resulted in a law in 1969 ordering the currency to be replaced by the shekel. It was finally introduced in 1980 after two years of planning in complete secrecy. After a period of hyperinflation, the shekel was replaced by the much more stable Israeli new shekel in 1986. Despite some talk of another change in 2013, the Israeli new shekel remains the country's monetary unit. The names of both these currencies, the Ukrainian hryvnia and Israeli new shekel, have ancient roots. The hryvnia is named after the currency used in medieval Kievan Rus called the grivnia, which means mane. It might have indicated something valuable worn around the neck, usually made of silver or gold. Later, the word was used to describe silver or gold ingots of a certain weight. Today, the standard English name for Ukraine's currency is hryvnia. The National Bank of Ukraine has recommended that a distinction be made between hryvnia and grivnia in both historical and practical means. The shekel's roots are even older. The shekel was an ancient Near Eastern unit of weight and is mentioned in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament. It was first a currency in ancient Tyre and ancient Carthage, and then in ancient Israel under the Maccabees. The modern state of Israel was created and built by Jewish settlers who came mainly from Eastern Europe, many from the territories of modern-day Ukraine. This latter-day exodus dates back as far as a century ago, when many Jews fled oppression in both the Russian and Austro-Hungarian empires. Since the establishment of the State of Israel, European Jews continued to emigrate to their ancestral homeland. Despite the many obstacles, in particular in the communist countries of Eastern Europe. Several Jews from Ukrainian territories have been awarded one of Israel's highest honors, their portraits depicted on the state's banknotes and coins. And Ukraine has returned the favor. In recent years, the National Bank of Ukraine has issued dozens of commemorative coins on various topics, 
Several coins are dedicated to prominent Jewish writers and scientists who lived and worked in Ukraine, as well as religious buildings of Judaism in Ukraine. And a century ago, Yiddish was used on Ukrainian currency in 1917 to 1920. So profound was the impact of Jews on Ukraine that Yiddish was one of the three state languages on the paper currency of the Ukrainian People's Republic, an attempt at independence from Russia that lasted four years, until 1921. In the next edition of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage, we'll bring you the names of the distinguished and esteemed Ukrainians and Jews who grace the currencies of both countries. I'm Pavlina, producer and host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage. Until next time, Shalom. Join us again soon for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Радіо ви слухаєте радіопрограму Наш Голос Радіо Українського Кориня на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Ненаймо. Не жаль, ми вже скінчили нашу програму, вже часто додому ви сказати до побачення. Але перед тим я хочу залишити вас такими словами мудрості. Як не хочеш хати воза, то доглядай коней. And our proverb of the week translates as if you don't want to push the wagon, then take care of the horse. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. In between broadcasts, please stay in touch with us via our Facebook page. For transcripts, audio archives, and a link to our podcast, visit www.nashholos.com. You can also find a link to our Patreon site there if you'd like to support our work. And of course, you can always find Nash Holos on your favorite podcast app. I'm Pavnina. On behalf of Oksana, myself, and all of us here at CHLY, thanks for listening. Dosusrichi.
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.